Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today from a message by Martin Luther. And I'm sure everyone knows who that is and was. He talks about the duty to the new and old man, and he uses a text from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 28, that you put away as concerning your former manner of life, the old man, that waxes corrupt after the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, that after God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Wherefore, putting away falsehood, speak truth, each one with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good, that he may have whereof to give to him that has need. He talks about the duty first to the new and the old man. We number the paragraphs, remember, when we're dealing with Luther. He, he uh, numbers all of his paragraphs. This is paragraph one. Here again is an admonition for Christians to follow up their faith by good works and a new life. For though they have forgiveness of sins, the old Adam still adheres to their flesh and makes himself felt in tendencies and desires to vices, physical and mental. The result is that unless Christians offer resistance, they will lose their faith and the remission of sins and will in the end be worse than they were at first. For they will begin to despise and persecute the word of God when corrected by it. Yes, even those who gladly hear the word of God, who highly prize it and aim to follow it, have daily need of admonition and encouragement. So strong and tough is that old hide of our sinful flesh. And so powerful and wild is our old flesh that wherever he can gain enough of an opening to insert one of his claws, he thrusts in his whole self and will not desist till he has again sunk man into his former condemnable unbelief and his old way of despising and disobeying God. Therefore, the gospel ministry is necessary in the church, and not only the instruction of the ignorant, such as the simple, unlettered people and the children, but also for the purpose of awakening those who know very well what they are to believe and how they are to live, and admonishing them to be on their guard daily, not to become indolent, disheartened, or tired in the war they must wage on this earth with the devil and with their own flesh, with all manner of evil. For this reason, Paul, and we're on paragraph three now, this reason Paul is so persistent in his admonitions that he actually seems to be overdoing it. He proceeds as if the Christians were either too dull to comprehend or, or so inattentive and forgetful that they must be reminded and driven. The apostle well knows that though they have made a beginning in faith and are in that state which should show the fruits of faith, such result is not so easily forthcoming. It will not do to think and say, well, it's sufficient to have the doctrine, and if we have the spirit and faith, then Fruits and good works will follow of their own accord. For although the Spirit truly is present, and as Christ says, willing and effective in those that believe, on the other hand, the flesh is weak and sluggish. 
Besides, the devil is not idle, but seeks to seduce our weak nature by temptations and allurements. So we must not permit the people to go on in their way, neglecting to urge and admonish them through God's word to lead a godly life. Indeed, you dare not be negligent and backward in this duty. For as it is, our flesh is all too sluggish to heed the Spirit and all too able to resist it. Paul says, Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, that you may not do the things that you want to. Therefore God, as constrained, is constrained to do as, as good and a diligent householder or ruler would, who, who having a, a slothful manservant or maidservant or careless officers, who otherwise are neither wicked nor faithless, will not consider it sufficient once or twice to direct, but will cons- constantly be supervising and, and directing. Paragraph 5. Nor have we as yet arrived at the point where our flesh and blood will joyfully and gladly abound in good works and obedience to God, as the Spirit is inclined and faith directs. Even with the utmost efforts, the Spirit scarce can compel our old man. What would be the result if we were no more urged and admonished, but could go our way thinking, as as many self-satisfied persons do, well, I am well acquainted with my duties, having learned them many years ago and having heard frequent explanations of them, Yea, I have taught others. It might be that one year's intermission of preaching and admonition would place us below the level of the heathen. 6. Now, this exhortation in itself is simple and easy of comprehension. The apostle is but repeating his exhortation of other places on the fruits of faith or a godly walk, merely in different terms. Here he speaks of putting away the old man and putting on the new man, uh, of being renewed in the spirit of your mind. The old man, seven. What he calls the old man is well known to us, namely the whole nature of man as descended from Adam after his fall in paradise, being blinded by the devil, depraved in soul, not keeping God before his eyes nor trusting him, yes, utterly regardless of God and the judgment day. Though with his mouth he may honor God's word and the gospel, yet in reality he is unchanged. If he does have a little additional knowledge, he has just as little fear, love, and trust in God as heretofore. 8. Such a life and such conduct should not be found among you, says the Apostle. You are not to continue with the old man. He must be put off and laid aside. Your former manner of life, inherited from Adam, consisted in disobeying God, in neither fearing, trusting, nor calling upon him. Again, in your body you obeyed not God's commandments, being given to lust and pride and insatiable greed, envy, hatred, and so on. A life and walk of this nature is not becoming a Christian who is regarded as, and truly is, a different order of being from his former self, as we shall hear. Necessarily, he should walk differently. Number nine. 
In this respect, a Christian must take heed that he does not deceive himself. The true Christian differs from the hypocrite. True Christians so live that it is apparent from their lives that they keep God before their eyes and truly believe the gospel, while hypocrites likewise show by their walk that their pretensions of faith and forgiveness of sin are hollow. No proof is seen in their lives and works showing that they have in any wise mended their former ways. They merely deck themselves with a pretense, with the name of gospel, of, of faith, of Christ. 10. Now the apostle has two things to say of the old man, that he corrupts himself in error as to the soul and in lusts as to the body. Paul portrays the old man, meaning every man without true faith, though he bear the name of a Christian, as in the first place given to error, coming short of the truth, knowing not of the true knowledge of Christ and faith in him, indifferent alike to God's wrath and God's grace, deceiving himself with his own conceit that, that darkness is light. The old man believes that God will not be moved to vengeance though he do as he pleases, even to decorating vices with the names of virtues, haughtiness, greed, oppressing and tormenting the poor, wrath, envy, all this he would call preserving his dignity, exercising strict discipline, honestly and economically conducting his domestic affairs, caring for his wife and children, displaying Christian zeal and love of justice, and so on. In short, he proceeds in the perfectly empty delusion and self-conceit that he is a Christian. 11. Out of this error proceeds the other corruption, the lusts of the body, which are fruits of unbelief. Unbelief causes men to walk in sinful security and yield to all the appetites of their flesh. Such have no inclination toward what is good, nor do they aim to promote orderliness, honor, or virtue. They take desperate chances on their lives, wanting to live according to the lusts of their flesh, and yet not be reprimanded. 12. This, says the Apostle, is the old man's course and nature. He will do naught but ruin himself. The longer continued, the greater his debasement. He draws down upon himself his own condemnation and penalty for body and soul. For, in proportion as he becomes unbelieving and hard-hearted, does he become haughty, hateful, and faithless, eventually a perfect scoundrel and villain. This was your former manner of life, when as yet you were heathen and non-Christians. Therefore, you must by all means put off the old man, Cast him far from you. Otherwise you cannot remain a Christian. For glorying in the grace of God and the forgiveness of sin is inconsistent with following sin. Remaining in the former old unchristian life and walking in error and deceitful lusts. And now the growth of the new man. Again, the scripture, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, 
that after God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. 13. Having put away the old man, the apostle exhorts us further to put on the new man, that day by day we may grow as new creatures. This is effected by first being delivered from error, from the erroneous thoughts and ideas incident to our corrupt nature with its false conceptions of God, wherein we do not fear nor believe Him, and then from God's Word receiving the right understanding of Him. When we rightly understand, we shall fear His wrath against sin and rely on His grace in true faith, believing that He will forgive our sins for Christ's sake and will hear our prayer for strength and assistance to withstand and conquer and to continually grow in faith. 14. This change Paul calls being renewed in the spirit of your mind, that is, constantly growing and becoming established in that true conception and clear knowledge of Christ begun in us, in opposition to error and idle vaporings. He who is thus received, says the apostle, is a man that, after God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. In the old man there is naught but error, by means of which the devil leads to destruction. But the new man has the spirit and the truth, by which the heart is illumined unto righteousness and holiness, wherein man follows the guidance of God's word and feels a desire for a godly walk and good life. Just as, on the other hand, the desire and love for sin and wickedness is the product of error. This new man is created after God as an image of God and must of necessity differ from such as live in error and in lusts without the knowledge of God and disobedient to him. For if God's image is in man, man must consequently have the right knowledge of God and right conceptions and ideas and lead a godly life consistent with holiness and righteousness as found in God himself. 15. Such an image of God Adam was when first created. He was, as to the soul, truthful, free from error, and possessed of true faith and knowledge of God, as to the body, holy and pure, that is, without the impure, unclean desires of avarice and lasciviousness and envy and hatred. And all his children, all men, would have so remained from their birth if he had not suffered himself to be led astray by the devil and to be thus ruined. But since Christians, by the grace and Spirit of God, now have been renewed to this image of God, they are so to live that soul and spirit are righteous and pleasing to God through faith in Christ, and that also the body, meaning the whole external life, be pure and holy, which is genuine holiness. 16. Some there are who pretend to great holiness and purity, but it is mere pretense, deceiving the people in general. Such are the factious spirits and monastic saints who base their holiness and uprightness solely on an external, peculiar life and on self-elected works. Theirs may be apparently a commendable, holy, and pure way of praying and fasting, denying self, and so on, 
and the people may call it so, but inwardly they are and remain haughty, venomous, hateful, filled with the filth of human lust and evil thoughts, as Christ says of such. Likewise, their righteousness, on which they pride themselves before God, has a certain gloss on the strength of which they presume to merit the grace of God for themselves and others. But inwardly, they have no true conception of God, being in rank unbelief, that is, false and vain suppositions or doubts. Such righteousness or holiness is not true nor honest. It's made up wholly of hypocrisy and deceit. It is built not of God nor after God, but after that lying spirit, the devil. 17. The true Christian, Paul asserts, has been molded through faith in Christ into a new man, like unto God, truly justified and holy in his sight, even as Adam originally was in perfect harmony of heart with God, showing true, straightforward confidence, love, willingness. And his body was holy and pure, knowing not of evil, impure or improper desire. Thus the whole life of the man was a beautiful portrait of God, a mirror wherein God himself was reflected, even as the lives and natures of the holy spirits, the angels, are wrapped up in God and represent true knowledge of him, assurance and joy in him, and utterly pure and holy thoughts and works according to the will of God. 18. But since man is now so grievously fallen from this cheerful confidence, this certainty and joy, into doubts or into presumption toward God, from unspotted noble obedience into the lusts of iniquity and ungodliness, it follows that not from mankind can come help or relief, nor can anyone hope for remedy except the Christians, who through faith in Christ begin again to have a joyful and confident heart toward God. They thus enter again into their former relation and into the true paradise of perfect harmony with God and of justification. They are comforted by His grace. Accordingly, they are disposed to lead a godly life in harmony with God's commandments and to resist ungodly lusts and ways. These begin to taste God's goodness and loving kindness, as Paul says, and realize what they lost in paradise. He, therefore, that would be a Christian should strive to be found in this new man created after God, not in blind error and vain conceit, but in the very essence of righteousness and holiness before God. Amen. Now this message goes on, talking about some of the same things. The next time we will begin with two classes of sins, but we have to stop here because of our time constraints. And thank you for being here today at the Hackberry House. Uh, we have the works of other great men of God on this site. I hope that you'll click on the word series and find them. I didn't say the world series. I said the word series. North Korea is a special topic here. I do hope that you will find those audios and check them out and pray as they lead you to do. 
Quran and Muhammad are talked about on my site, prophecy through the Bible, commentaries on different books of the Bible. I've written whole books. You can click on store to find those. And my other website, faulknertales.com, tells some very interesting stories, I think. And a new blog was born recently. Those who remember the Greater Than Solomon series will want to come around to that blog, read the blog and other entries about child abuse. It's a uh, child abuse among Christians. Go to www.teengulag.com. Teengulag.com. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.